0: You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, continuing to to study through the book of Ephesians. And the last time we looked at Ephesians together, we studied chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, and we looked at the topic of marriage. If you weren't here that week, I encourage you to uh, pick up a CD or to uh, jump on the website and listen to that. Um, as it relates uh, to each one of us that are married and and, uh, really uh, to uh, to all of us uh, as most people uh, get married. So uh, we understand the fact that we are in a marriage crisis, and we talked about that in that study, not only uh, outside the church, but inside the church as well. And, And what naturally flows from a marriage crisis, I think a parenting crisis, Uh, With 50% of all marriages ending in divorce, you have millions of children being left in the wake of that. And here are some telling statistics. Uh, Almost one and a half million babies aborted each year. That is one third of every pregnancy ends in abortion. Uh, One third of all births do not have a father listed on the birth certificate. Think about that. 40% of children nationally do not live with their fathers and are therefore 10 times more likely to do these things. To live in poverty, drop out of school, use drugs and alcohol, engage in sexual intercourse, commit crimes, suffer from mental illness, commit suicide, and as a result of these things, an army... Of social workers and government agencies have been raised up in the last 30 years to try to cope with these issues that all result from children not being parented properly and so that's what we want to talk about this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 we want to talk about parenting parenting 101 really and once again the Word of God keeps things very simple we're going to notice two main points in our text Duties for children and duties for fathers. Duties for children found in verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so the first thing is the duties for children, verses 1 through 3. And unlike many parenting theories, the Scriptures do have commands and exhortations and expectations for children. Many of the secular uh, principles, seminars, Ideas about parenting say, you know, I just let the kids figure things out and don't put any expectations on them and just let them work it out. And that is totally opposed to the word of God. First of all, Paul commands children to obey their parents. The word obey here literally means to stand under that is to be under another's authority. And we live in a culture and in a society that says question question authority, that we don't need to be under anyone's authority. And yet the word of God says that from a very early age, we need to learn the value of authority and that we need to respect that and respond to that. And much of the reason why adults do not understand authority and why they rebel against authority is because they were never taught To be under authority as a child. And they were never given good role models of authority. They never had good authority figures. And many of us can relate to that. This word, uh, obey here, it's used in many places in the Bible as a military term. As a soldier obeys the commands of a superior officer, we need to learn authority because it's something that will follow us all the way through life. There's always authority figures. There's always someone who is over us, and we need to learn to be able to respond to that and respect that. And it starts as a child. And in reality, this verse, children obey your parents, really the context of it is verse 21. We need to go back there to to see how all of this fits together. Paul says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Here Paul declares that we must submit to one another so that everything fits together properly in the family setting. He, he goes on to explain the order of things. He says that husbands, first of all, submit to the Lord. And so husbands submit to the Lord. That's the first thing. Then wives submit to the Lord and then to their husbands. And then finally, children submit to the Lord and to their parents. And so there's this natural order of things that Paul lays out. And he starts by saying, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And that's really a key phrase here. In the fear of God or in the Lord to make all of this work. Because by obeying their parents, children are actually obeying the Lord. Because He has set up this authority in their life. And as adults, as we obey the authority in our lives, we are obeying the Lord. It's the order of creation. This idea that children are to obey their parents. Because God created things that way. And when we allow children to run the house, to run the show, to dictate to us, rather than us dictating to them, We are messing and tweaking with God's design, and the only outcome of that is disaster. And that's why we have disasters for homes. Because parents have said, you know what, I'm going to buy into the secular, worldly philosophies of men, and I don't need to uh, make my children obey. I, I don't need to have guidelines and parameters for my children. I don't need to discipline my children. I'm just going to allow them to do whatever they want because it just makes things a lot easier and then what we have is a disaster he says for this is right children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right by obeying parents children are simply doing what makes good sense it's just common sense because the parent brought the child into the world therefore they have more knowledge more wisdom, more understanding and experience to know what to do and what not to do. At least we should have that. It's very sad when you can't tell the child from the parent because the parent is so immature. But that's at least the way it should be, that we should have that deeper understanding of things. And so we are then called to guide and direct our children. It's much like uh, pilots. You know that when you're up in a plane, you're not the only one up in a plane. There's thousands of planes in the air. And as you leave, somebody leaves behind you. And many of these routes are, are flown uh, you know, every half an hour or every hour. And so these pilots, maybe they're flying from New York to L.A. and maybe they're halfway across the country. It is their job to, to report the weather and the turbulent conditions so that the planes behind them are aware of it. And it's the same in terms of parenting. We've gone through that. We've went through that. We've experienced that so we can report to our kids, look, this is what you're going to go through. This is what life is going to throw at you. Here are some things you need to be aware of because we've gone through that. And it just makes sense for this is right. But there's something very important And that is that for the child to obey the parent as unto the Lord, the parent must represent the Lord. Just like we talked about that in order for a wife to submit to her husband, the husband needs to model Jesus. Well, it's the same in terms of parents. In order, you guys, for us as parents to really ask our children to obey us, we need to model to them the Lord. We need to model His love, His forgiveness. As parents, we need to walk close with Jesus so that obeying us is akin to obeying the Lord. The modern version of verse 1, I think, would read rather comically as, Parents, obey your children, for this will keep them happy and bring peace and quiet to your home. That's, That's the modern mantra of parenting. Hey, just let your kids do whatever they want. Obey them, let them run it, and everything will just be a lot quieter and more peaceful in your house. And how many homes do we see run this way? Just go down to the supermarket and watch parents with their children. Watch parents interact with their kids. Watch a parent ask a child four or five times to do something. And you think to yourself, at least you should think to yourself, who's in charge here? Watch a parent tell a child emphatically, no, you're not going to do that, only to be argued with and then to give in to that child. And here's the thing. If you begin an argument with your child about something and you give in to that child, you have now set precedents. And don't be surprised when they argue with you and when they try to question you on everything. It starts very young. Verse two goes on and Paul says, not only should children obey their parents, but children need to honor their parents. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. In other words, this is the first commandment that kids are to obey. It's the fifth commandment, in fact, of the Ten Commandments. And this word to honor means much more than just obedience. It involves respect in love. See, you can obey, but do it with a very rebellious heart. And how many employers do employees do that with their employ, employers? How many kids do that with their parents? It's like the story of, of the boy that was told to sit down. And finally, after being asked three times, the mother forcibly made the child sit down and he looked at her and said, I may be sitting on the outside, but on the inside I'm standing. And, and that's how a lot of Children respond to their parents with rebellion, and that's not honor. You can obey, but still be in rebellion. Paul takes it further and says, look, you need to honor your parents. It involves respect. It involves love. It means that children care about their parents, take care of their parents when they're old and they're unable. It also means that children seek to honor their parents by the way they live their lives. And and maybe uh, you have a parent. Parents that aren't very honorable and as followers of Jesus, we need to make efforts to honor our parents, even if they haven't been very honorable to us. And, and the Lord has been uh, working this out very slowly in my life because uh, my dad left my mom when I was two years old. Uh, my dad is not, uh, you know, a guy that that I know very well and we've never had a relationship and he's not been a part of my life. So it's very difficult for me to to want to have any kind of a relationship with him. But the Lord has really laid down on my life that I need to be an example to him and to model for him forgiveness and love and grace. And and maybe for you, it will start slow. And, and the Lord, uh, like with me, will just give you some simple things that he wants you to do to show that uh, to that parent. But. Be that as it may, we need to be honoring our parents and as parents, we need to be living honorable lives so that our children can honor us, can respect us, can obey us. Paul says that these principles, that these expectations, these duties for children, that is obedience and honor, they come with a promise. They have a very practical purpose, he says. And that is that, they, that it may be well with them and that they may live long on the earth. It's that children would not die early from the effects and the repercussions of sin and foolish living, but rather that they might live many years and enjoy a fruitful life on this earth. Now, this doesn't mean that every person that dies young was dishonoring their parents. Paul is stating a principle in that when children obey their parents in the Lord, they will escape a good deal of the sin and the repercussions of sin that seek to shorten and destroy their lives. That's the principle that he's laying out. And so, children obeying their parents in a sense is a life or death matter. This is important that we demand obedience from our children. And Paul goes on to talk about the duties for fathers in verse 4. He says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, first of all, I think we need to understand why this is directed toward fathers. Because obviously, these principles and responsibilities apply to parents in general. But Paul directs them to fathers. And it's simple. It's because the husband, the father, is the head of the home. And it is his responsibility, it is our responsibility as husbands, as fathers, to direct the raising of the children. The wife, the mother, will be putting his direction into practice. But it is the job of the father to set the precedence. And many fathers feel like, well, it's it's my job to just go make the money Support the family, and it's her job to raise the kids. And that is absolutely opposed to the way God designed it. God designed for fathers to be very proactive in the raising of their children. Now, they may not be there with the child as much as the mother, as they're out working and supporting the family, which is the way God designed it to be. But it does mean that they are taking a very active role in the development and in the raising of that child. And so when they come home, they ask questions. They talk to their kids. They administer discipline if it's needed. And they dictate how the family is to be run and operated. They're not just like absentee dad who shows up once in a while for dinner and to watch TV. They're actively a part of things. And we see that a father and, and, and parents have several responsibilities toward their children. And Paul gives us four principles for good parenting here in verse 4. First of all, do not provoke your children, he says. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Now this doesn't mean that don't make your kids angry in a childish way. Hey, that's going to happen on a daily basis, especially when they're young. They're going to throw fits. They're going to cry because they don't want to eat what you put on the table. This isn't the kind of anger that Paul is talking about. The kind of anger he's talking about is a deep-seated frustration, a deep-seated resentment that is a result of neglect from a father. And I think, again, many of us can understand that. He says, do not provoke your children. God shares one of His most sacred titles with us men. And that is Father. He shares one of his most sacred titles with us. He doesn't do that lightly. He says that he wants us to model his fatherhood to our children. You remember the Lord's Prayer? Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. But if you read that, in a lot of ways, Jesus was teaching us as men what it means to be a father, our father. "...who art in heaven, hallowed be your name." And he goes on to talk about what a father does. You Read that. Matthew chapter 6. God commands His sons, that is us, to father our children in such a way that we do not embitter or frustrate them. And we can embitter and frustrate our kids by doing and not doing a lot of things. I think this can happen when a father is not involved in the life of his child. That embitters and frustrates a child. I think this can happen when a father sins against the mother of his child. I think this can happen when a father does not provide for his child's basic needs. A child feels neglected, unwanted, and unloved. I think this happens when a father does not protect his child from harm. How many daughters feel absolutely unloved Because their father didn't protect them from abuse and did nothing to stop it. I think this can happen when a father says one thing and does another. I think this can happen when a father is always blaming, always pointing the finger, but never praising. This embitters and frustrates kids. I think this can happen when a father shows favoritism to one child over another. You remember Jacob did this with Joseph. And it created chaos in the family. You remember David did this, and it ruined his family. And it's amazing as you read the Old Testament and you see how few men, characters in the Bible, were good fathers. Eli the priest was a horrible father. His children were rebellious and ended up having their lives cut short. David. A man after God's own heart. A man that we can model our life after in a lot of ways except for his parenting skills. He was a terrible father. I think children become frustrated and bitter and are provoked to wrath when a father makes promises to his kids and does not keep them. You remember the song, Cat Stevens, the the cat in the cradle and the silver spoon. Remember how the story just unfolds about the the dad that was never there for his kid. And the kid would always be waiting around for the dad to take him fishing or to do something with him. And then as the child developed into an adult, now the dad's retired. He's not as busy. Now he wants to spend time with his son. But the son's now busy and he wants to have nothing to do with the dad. And it's this cyclical devastation that ensues. And so do not provoke your children to wrath, fathers, parents, by being The parent that you need to be by loving them, providing for them, nurturing them. And that's the second thing is that a good parent must nurture his children. Second principle for good parenting. The verb translated bring them up in verse four is also translated nurture in chapter five, verse twenty nine. The Christian husband, the Christian father who desires to be a good leader must first Nourish his wife and then his children by sharing love and encouraging them in their walk with the Lord It's not enough men to simply nurture your family by providing for them physically with food and with shelter and clothing That's that's a good thing and that's necessary That's step one. It doesn't end there. We must also nurture our family spiritually and emotionally This is not the responsibility of of the children's ministry, or a youth pastor, or someone else. It is incumbent upon us as parents to nurture our children in all aspects of their life, not to rely upon others to do that. A third principle for good parenting is that we must discipline our children. This idea of bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord carries the idea of discipline. Hebrews twelve six tells us that whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And so I think that it's safe to say that parents that love their children discipline their children. And parents that don't love their children don't discipline. And it's always said, well, I don't discipline very much because I love my kid too much. No, you're too selfish and self-consumed and worried about how they're going to think of you and whether or not they're going to be your friend or whether or not it's going to disrupt the peace and quiet in the home, because now you've disciplined them and now they're going to throw a fit about it. And you don't want to deal with that. You guys, understand as parents that we are not called to be our children's friend. Maybe down the road you will be. But when your children are small and living in your home, you are not called to be their friend. You're called to be their parent. And it's a big difference. Hopefully as they grow into adulthood, you can become great friends with them. Parents that love their kids discipline their kids. Proverbs 13.24 says, He who spares the rod, listen, hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. He who spares the rod. It's not neutral. He, he who spares the rod is just sort of indifferent. No, he who spares the rod hates his son. Strong language. But if you love your kids, you will discipline them promptly. Now, we must ensure that our discipline is in the right manner. To begin with, we must discipline in love and not in anger. What's our motive? Is it because we're just fuming mad and so we're going to take out our anger upon our children? Is it that we had a really hard day at work and so now they do one little thing and now we blow our top and we discipline them? No, we need to discipline in fairness and with consistency. With fairness in that... If they spill the milk or they do something on accident, that's not worthy of discipline. What that is worthy of is teaching them and instructing them in how to behave at the dinner table or in how to not allow that and create that accident once again. See, we need to be fair. We need to be consistent so that this action deserves this punishment. And we're not spanking our children for things that aren't worthy of that you need to understand and you need to use common sense as a parent to know what discipline matches up with what choice and action it needs to be consistent. And it needs to be fair, consistent and loving and fair discipline gives assurance to a child. They're crying out for that. They want that discipline. They need it. The Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. You see, children are not born intelligent and smart. They're born foolish. And they need to be taught. They need to be instructed. They need to be given wisdom for life. They need to understand that this choice equals this punishment. Because that will carry with them their entire life. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but this rod of correction, it drives it from him. See, when a child makes a a choice, you are teaching that child by disciplining them, by spanking them, that this choice equals pain. And children begin to connect the two and to say, look, when I do this, it hurts. And so I don't want to do that. And there's this cognitive connection that takes place that will carry with them in their entire life how many of you know adults that can't make those connections they don't understand that this choice equals pain and so they go out and they rob banks and they abuse people and they are addicted to drugs and they're a menace to society because they never were taught that this choice equals this consequence and it has to be taught at a very young age Bible says in Proverbs 29, do not, or 23, do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. If we want our children to be A, responsible members of society, we will discipline our kids and we will discipline them with spanking. If we want to, deliver our kids from hell, we will do that. And so this is not only a life or death matter, this is also an eternal matter. And we begin to do that, you guys, at at a young age. This isn't something that you begin doing at 9 and 10 years old. This is something that you begin doing when you see the first sign of rebellion in a child. And it can happen for different kids at different ages. But that first sign of rebellion, they need to be disciplined. Now, when they're six months old, I'm not advocating, you know, spanking them with a belt, but maybe slapping their hand. And they they understand that the pain, they don't do that. Do not touch that. They do it. So you discipline them. And when you see that rebellion beginning to crop up. Now, if you don't want your children to be responsible members of society, if you want them to be dependent on others, upon social services, if you want them to blame others, if you want them to be questioning authority, committing crimes, and on their way to hell, then don't discipline them. Just let them do whatever they want and you'll have a a friend for a child. Your toddler will think you're amazing, but your adult child will not respect you and will want to have nothing to do with you. And so it's very straightforward biblically here what we need to do. We need to not provoke our children by being good examples to them, by modeling the the Lord to them. We need to nurture our children by being involved in their life. And we need to discipline our children. And then finally, Paul gives us the last principle for parenting. And that is that we must instruct and encourage our children. This is the meaning of the word admonition. That parents not only use actions to raise the child but they use words. Now some of us aren't really good with words, but you need to work at it. You need to be able to express to your child your love for him or her and also you need to be able to counsel them. Many parents just use actions and, and they're not sitting down and, and having meaningful conversation with their children. In the book of Proverbs is an inspired record of a father sharing wise counsel with his son, which is interesting because many of the Proverbs were written by Solomon, right? Who is the son of David. Have you ever thought about the fact that maybe Solomon wanted to leave something behind for his kids since his father did nothing to raise him properly? That maybe Solomon thought, you know what? I love my dad, but he was a lousy father. And so I want to write some good principles for life for my kids. Because that wasn't done for me. And maybe you didn't have a good father. Maybe you didn't have good parents. But that doesn't mean that you can't be a good father or a good parent. We need to be able to sit down with our kids and give them wise counsel and encouragement. And our children will not always agree with or like our counsel. That doesn't matter. It doesn't eliminate our obligation to instruct and encourage them. They're not always going to agree with you. It's just like when I sit down to counsel people in the church, they don't always agree with me. And I could very easily kind of figure out what they would agree with and just tell them what I think they would agree with, and then everybody's happy, but I'm dishonoring the Lord. And you can very quickly figure out what to say to your kids that they're going to like and just make them happy with your words, and yet you're dishonoring the Lord. But here is the, the important element to all of this, And that is that our instruction and our encouragement needs to come from the Word of God. And so if you're a parent who's not in the Word, if you're a parent who is not committed to understanding the Scriptures, then how can you counsel your kids in the ways of the Lord? You can't. And I think that that's why 80% of graduating high school seniors walk away from the church altogether and just say, you know what? What's the point of it? I was raised with it. Yeah, we went to church, but that's all it amounted to was showing up on a Sunday, putting in your hour or hour and a half, going home, and that was it. I never saw it ever again. And it was a sham. It's a joke. We need to show our kids that Jesus is a part of everything in our life, that the Word of God is our roadmap for life. And we give our kids counsel and encouragement from the Word of God from a very young age. You remember Timothy. It says that Timothy was given the Word of God from a very young age, 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's an important legacy to leave for our kids. I want to close with just some practical advice. Some practical advice that you fathers, I think, should put into practice in your homes. And maybe if you're a single mom, then you need to put this into practice in your home. First of all, start the instruction when the children are young. Start it when they're young. Don't wait for them to be nine or ten years old. It's too late. They have already developed patterns and habits and anti-scriptural thinking. You need to begin to instruct them in the ways of the Lord at a very, very young age. You need to live in such a way that your child can imitate you. Look at your life and say, do I want my kids to grow up like me? Live in such a way that you are a blessing to your kids. In other words, does my presence in the home mean anything to them? Am I a blessing to them? Or am I just a stranger that happens to live in the same house? Set the goal for your children very simply. We have all these goals for our kids, right? How many people have athletic goals and educational goals and career goals? Here's the goals that you ought to have for your kids. That they love God and they love people. That's it. That they love God with all of their heart and that they love others and that whatever they set their mind to do, they work hard at it. And that will come as a result of loving God. That they love the Lord. That's your goal for your child. That's what I pray for my kids every day. That their hearts would be captured by Jesus. I would love to see my son be a pastor or a worship leader, or a missionary to serve the Lord in a full-time capacity. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see my daughter marry someone who's doing those things and be a part of ministry. I would love to see those things. However, whatever they choose to do, as long as they love Jesus, that's my goal for them. You guys, we need to use daily events as a way to teach life lessons. Things are going to happen. You're going to get in a car accident. You're going to have tragic things happen at the house. Maybe you're going to be robbed. And so you use that as a lesson as to why stealing is wrong. Maybe the family pet is going to die. And so you use that as an opportunity to teach them about death. Because they will be affected by it. Maybe grandma or grandpa dies. And so you sit them down and you teach them about death and that life is not guaranteed to us. And you use these life experiences to teach them life lessons. The other day, Caitlin came home, and and she just started kindergarten this year, and we're uh, sending her to uh, public school, and you know it's uh, it's been it's been going very well. But first few days of school, she she had a, a problem because you know the kids didn't all want to play with her, and you know, there there were some other kids that were more popular than she is. And she's always kind of the life of the party, always the the one in in the Sunday school class that, you know, is gaining all the attention because she's, you know, just kind of like a little spark plug. Well, she goes to school and and there's some other kids that, that are similar in personality. And she's not the leader and she's not the one all the kids want to hang around with. And she doesn't always have the attention. And so I sat her down and I just explained to her that it's not about her. That the world doesn't revolve around her. And that she needs to look for kids in the class that don't have friends. And that nobody else is responding to or reaching out to. And it was a great little time of instruction for her to teach her that principle. Because you know what? Many kids are not taught that. And so then as adults, they think everything's about them. You need to pray for your children. Pray for them when you're in prayer for other things, when they're not with you, and pray for them directly, out loud, with them. Pray for your kids. Read a good children's Bible to them, and then as they get older, begin to progress in the type of Bible that you're reading to them, but read them the stories of the Word. Maybe you even um, can act those stories out. Buy them some some videos that, that teach them the Bible stories and, and teach them how it applies in their life, what it means. That they, they can even begin to memorize Scripture, but not for the sake of, of memory, not for the sake of knowledge, but so that they have the Word as a resource to them to know how to live life. Purchase some good worship music for your kids to sing along with, teaching them the value of, of music and of worship musically, so that they have a a heart for that. Raise your children to think critically. When they ask questions, seek out answers. If you don't know them, ask somebody else. Get into the Word. Because if you just tell your kids, well, that's just the way we believe, or that's what the pastor said, or that's just how I was raised, and so that's how you're going to be raised, that's not good enough. It's not good enough because we live in a culture and in a society that will bombard them with criticism of the Christian faith. And they need to know why they believe what they believe. You need to teach them to think critically, not to shelter them from all of these opposing views. That doesn't do any good. Because at some point in time, they're going to be faced with those things. And so when it's appropriate, begin to teach your kids about other religions, and about the cults, and about false theologies. And false ways of looking at things scripturally begin to teach them about creation and teaching them to think critically teach them about evolution and then compare it to the word of God when they are learning these things in school sit down and spend time with them so that they can understand what the word of God says about these things don't teach them to be self-righteous and better than everybody else teach them that they are privileged To know the Lord. And to know the Word. And that their mission is to share that with other people. They're not better. They're just privileged. Discuss with your kids what they're learning at school. These are some practical things, parents, that you should be doing. All of these things are huge. And as parents, we have a great responsibility to raise our kids. To, in our sphere of influence, make a difference. You know what? This world is going downhill fast. There aren't a lot of good models for parents. Kids are left on their own. Even in our community, we see just scores of kids who have no parental authority in their life at all. And that shouldn't cause us to say, well, just forget it. What good's it going to do? This culture, this generation is just going to hell anyway. We might as well just join them. No, we make a difference in our kids' lives. That's all that we can do. You're probably not going to change the culture as a whole. You're not going to change the way people parent as a whole. But you can change the way you parent. And you can begin to model Jesus to your kids and make a difference in their life. And maybe you're saying, well, I've already raised my kids. I made a lot of mistakes. Well, it's never too late to apologize. It's also never too late to begin to model your life after Jesus So that your kids can begin to see that change in you even as adults. It's never too late to begin to get into the Word personally so that when your kids ask advice, you have the Word of God to give them, even though they're adults. And I think that is important, even as parents of little kids, that you are willing to apologize. When you make a mistake, admit that to your kids. Don't be so prideful that you're not willing to apologize And don't think that if you apologize, that shows weakness. No, it shows strength. It shows maturity. It teaches them to apologize. And you know what? We live in a culture, we live in a society where people don't apologize. It blows me away how hard it is for some people to admit they were wrong. Even in the church, people want to tenaciously hold on to the fact that they were right when they were dead wrong. It's pride. It's selfishness. Teach your kids to apologize, because by doing so, when you apologize to them, you're showing them, you know what? My mom, my dad loves the Lord and they try to to do what he would have them to do. But sometimes they mess up and they confess it and they apologize. And so it teaches them that you're doing your best to model Jesus to them, but you're not Jesus. And so then they look to Jesus to be their hope and their savior. Parenting. Probably the most difficult job that we'll ever have. It's discouraging. It's aggravating at times. Sometimes you want to quit. But the Word of God gives us hope. The Word of God tells us that if we raise our children in the Lord, when they're old, they will not depart from it. There may be some years there where your kids rebel against the things you've taught them, but the Bible promises us that when they're old, they'll come back to those things. They'll reach a place where they recognize that those things are true. And so we can take hope in that. Maybe you have not been a good parent thus far with your children. It's never too late to start, to begin to implement these principles into your home. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank You that You are our Father. That you model all of these things perfectly to us. And Lord, as, as human parents, as human fathers and mothers, Lord, we need your strength. Lord, we need you. Because apart from you, we can do nothing. And Lord, we confess our shortcomings, our failures, our sins as parents. We ask that you would forgive us. Lord, help us to begin to, to parent our kids properly. To put these principles into place. Jesus, I... I pray that each one of us as parents would be so close to You that we would just model You in our homes. Lord, we pray for our kids. We pray that You would capture their hearts. That, Lord, You would get a hold of their lives. That, Lord, they would see their need for You at a very young age. That You would be so real to them. Lord, bless our kids. Continue to raise them and to grow them up in you, Lord. Help us to be the parents you've called us to be with your power. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Pineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.